Welcome to the Athlete's Compass Podcast, your North Star for mastering endurance training and holistic health. Join us each week as renowned sports scientist and founder of Athletica.ai, Paul Larson, along with athlete, coach, and sports scientist Mariana Rakai, and coach and cyclist Paul Warlowski, guide you through the maze of often confusing training principles. Make sure your compass is ready. Class is now in session. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Athletes Compass, the podcast where we navigate training, fitness, and health for everyday athletes. Last week, we talked about monitoring your fitness and measuring your progress. But this week, we're getting a little bit more into the weeds with thresholds and how we set our training zones. These zones are roughly defined about how our body responds to the training we do. So it's really important to understand how we get those zones in Athletica and in your training because they determine the effectiveness of your training. So let's start with definitions. Paul, can you talk about the physiological events that happen when we start to exercise and then how there are thresholds that signify the changes in your body's response? Yeah, for sure, Paul. So we'll talk about, you know, we use that that term a lot, uh, you know, right across the whole gamut of when we talk about training and performance. We talk about your threshold. Well, what is what is the threshold? And, you know, you're talking, I guess, simply about your threshold to sustain exercise intensity, right? How long, yeah, how long can you hold an exercise rate? Um, and I guess the higher the intensity ultimately that you can hold, the better your your performance is going to be, right? And you can use that across any context that you want from whatever whatever's in your head, whether it's a 5K race um, or a you know, or an Ironman or whatever, right? Like what what speed can you or rate of exercise can you hold to um, throughout that whole thing? And you want to obviously if we want to perform well, we typically want a higher threshold. And we know that training is, you know, we see that one of the biggest responses to training is our ability to heighten this threshold. The other place I'll put threshold around, um, if we want to just back up a little bit and do a little small exercise physiology class, there's usually three big factors for exercise performance. And you've probably heard some of these before. One is VO2 max, and we've talked about this in, in many, um, many other podcasts, and that's the maximum amount of oxygen that your body can take up and, and deliver to, um, to the muscles and burn as, as, um, with the carbohydrates and fat that you, that you might um, consume, uh, that you will consume. And, and then, that's, then the, the second one is the economy of motion, so that's how economic you can be. Some people can have a high VO2 max, but they're not really economical with it, right? It's like a it's like a car that's just not really efficient, right? It it might have a, a really good engine, but you know, it's yeah. I, I typically think of American cars kind of were classically built like this or not anymore, but they were classically they had big engines, but they weren't that efficient. And then the Japanese cars came in. And they had, they didn't have as big, big engines, but they were super efficient with the engines that they did have. 
right? And that's, you know, that's back a ways. I think they've, everyone's sort of caught up, but that was, that's an analogy there. And then the threshold that we're all talking about here is we're really talking about your, the percentage of that max that you have, the VO2 max that you can hold um, for, for the whole event. So you want to have elements of all these different three, all the, these three big ones. Um, and yeah, that's, so today we're going to speak about the threshold and you might've heard of your, your lactate threshold. Some, we often talk about your ventilatory threshold. Well, the reason why we talk about lactate or ventilatory thresholds is because those are the physiological measures that, that tend to be associated with that sustainable rate. Um, so your the ventilation, we're talking about our lungs, how fast you're going to breathe. That tends to be related to, um, you know, your, the, the, the point at which lactate starts to rise, the point at which um, the acid from the, the burning of sugar tends to rise as well. They're all kind of coupled. And um, we can also get these functionally, right? So the, we, when we do like our, our um, FTP test, you've heard of that, right? Or we've spoken about the, the critical power and critical speed curves before as well. These are, these are really where we can functionally determine where those thresholds in you lie. And, um, and we can do this outside of the laboratory and just using your wearable device and, and Athletica for some, for some help. So that's, um, that's a bit of a lay of the land. Paul, Mariana, did I, what did I miss or, or what, um, what should, do I need to expand on? Can you expand on the first threshold, the ventilatory uh, threshold one? Mm -hmm. And what's the significance for everyday athlete? Perfect. Well, first of all, we should talk about the fact that there are two. So there's two two of these thresholds. They definitely tend to be linked. And the let's start with the second threshold, and then we'll move into the first. The second threshold is really that critical power or critical speed curve. It's really it's very close to that. Um, and it, it, you know, it's, it's your FTP, um, or it's your, yeah, it's, it, it is your FTP. Uh, it's pretty, pretty close to that. That's, they're all around the same sort of point. Okay. So it might be the exercise speed or power that you could produce for say like one hour. And that's the upper threshold, the second threshold. Now to your question, you want to, well, what's the first threshold and what's the significance the first threshold, and you will find this on your power and, and pace profiles on Athletica. And the significance of it is it really represents your homeostatic exercise intensity. Homeostatic means balance in physiology. And it means that you're, you're in equilibrium with a, you know, a pace that you could, it's like your all day pace. You're, you know, I can comfortably do this all day. It really, it's that steady pace. It is the same zone two, ultimately. It's right around the upper zone two kind of level. It's around your MAF, your maximal aerobic fitness intensity. And, and that's the significance. The significance is that it is your all-day pace. And it's very, it, um, be, exercise below that intensity isn't that stressful on your body. It's where we need to be doing, remember the polarized 80-20 model? It is where you need to be doing the bulk around 80% of your work in your training, ultimately, if you can. And um, yeah, so it has a lots of different significances from both the 
overall training standpoint and from the pacing standpoint. So yeah, just and pacing, just yeah, to to expand on that a bit. The like, if you're going to do an Ironman, you don't want to start out at your second threshold, which I have done before. <laughs> you know, like because you're remember when you you're when you start out, you're you're pretty hyped up about you know being an Ironman or whatever, right? And this is the the classic, the classic expression that we see with individuals, including myself, I'll put myself there as well, in an Ironman uh, post-race report, I absolutely killed my bike, you know? <laughs> and I would, and, I, and I'm saying- were walking. Right, exactly. And then it's, of course, that's, an, but again, we're above homeostasis, right? So we're burning matches ultimately all through that. You know, with uh, and you're you're getting a great bike, and and then you you just got nothing left for the run. Of course, if you want to perform well in an Ironman, and go back to look at the Cindy Maloney blog uh, on on the Athletica website, you'll see a classic example of what perfect pacing is, where she's ultimately going at her first threshold throughout the whole Ironman. She's at her all day pace. And, you know, she just basically has the entire day of picking off athletes that are doing the opposite, that are killing the bike. You know what I mean? Um, so so that is the, that's the big significance of it. Two significance. One, training, training 80% of your, um, of, your, of your training below that uh, first threshold. Second, around that pace, you know, plus or minus a couple percent is where you want to be targeting your all day pace for something like an ultra distance event. My first Ironman was the complete opposite. I did not kill the bike, but I, I ran really well. So maybe we need to find out, you know, the balance, the balance, <laughs> the balance. Um, so let's say that we have an everyday athlete who wants to do 10 K run. Does the ventilatory threshold one is that still important for somebody who wants to go at that ventilatory threshold too for 45 minutes or an hour? Yeah, context. So it just really, really depends on who we're talking about here. I would say the majority of us, probably that's, that is ideal uh, to be, um, you know, doing still a polarized training, training plan where, um, you know, but we're still focusing on, uh, quality work during the, you know, during the preparation for the 10K. Um, I will say that there tends to be good support also in the more well-trained athlete for more of a pyramidal um, type training plan. And pyramidal is more like a pyramid where it goes, you know, above, you know, there's quite a bit in, in zone um, like the, the zone one and two, and then zone three, there's, there's a fair bit of training in zone three as well. And there's a little bit of training in, in the, in the upper echelon, the, the, the top, uh, zone four fives. And this is also called the, the Norwegian method, but this is, tends to be reserved a little bit more for more, more well-trained individuals. And it tends to, or time uh the time crunched athlete they can also potentially benefit we need to be more a little more careful with the stress that's implemented in these and um but but as we often say there's more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to training and here is a classic example there's lots of different ways to to do this optimally and it will always depend depend on the context i would start i would start polarized 
And then, you know, as you become a more advanced athlete, you might want to play around with a more pyramidal type approach if you're just a singular 10K running running athlete. So for the ventilatory thresholds, I, I talked this morning with one of my Athletica athletes and we were discussing, he doesn't have a power meter. So we were talking about how to do his zone two training at a pace where he could be talking to somebody else. So he could have his a, a normal discussion, maybe not talk about religion or politics, but have you know a, a pretty good discussion with somebody. And that is under his first ventilatory threshold. And then when it comes time for him to do his intervals, that second ventilatory threshold would be an example of, of when he is starting to pant and he no longer can really talk. Is that a pretty good way of looking at your ventilatory thresholds? Yeah, perfect, perfect, exactly, right? And you think about it, um, you know, that's why they're called ventilatory thresholds because you, the talk test works. You lose that ability to be able to speak full sentences with, um, because your ventilation rate must override the speech mechanisms. And um, yeah, you have to kind of, you have to speak in the you know little little short, um, short sentences to to get the communication message messages out. So um, yeah, that's the talk test, and it works perfectly. Now the other one I'll say too, Paul, is nose breathing. This doesn't work for everyone. Some people have, uh, you know, n nostrils and not, uh, you know sinus cavities that aren't configured appropriately to be able to take air in. But the if you know, if you're the majority of individuals with clear sinuses and um, yeah, normal mechanisms up there, you should also be able to nose breathe just you know for for the most part, which is also a very good training practice as well. Not easy to do, and sometimes you know you have to all of a sudden you know revert to a couple a couple mouth breathes, but it's a great practice to kind of work on as well. If you're by yourself, you don't need to kind of worry about talking. And, um, you know, there's, there's some really good filtration and humidification that occurs in the nasal passages that is, that is very beneficial to a calm nervous system, that balance, that parasympathetic system. And, um, yeah, it's in another, another great one. So talk test and nasal breathing. I have to say about the nasal breathing, I thought I could never, ever do that. <laughs> And then when we started working together, Paul, um, you encouraged me to try nasal breathing. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that. Like I've tried, but it's so hard. But yes. I think it was uh, to your point about, um, you know, calming nervous system down by using nasal breathing, uh, that it worked when I just kept practicing and it kept my running pace a lot slower so i was in that zone two pace what i've noticed though is that now i can i can nasal breathe at higher pace which is great that's what you want so going from <laughs> non-believer to a believer um it took some trial and error and just keep trying yeah like everything it's a it's another system that can be trained Pretty cool. Yeah, and I like I don't I don't have any scientific base for this, but I I just think that the the nervous system 
overdrive has such an impact on like if you're able to nasal breathe or not. Mm-hmm. No, it does. You, if it... you're constantly there, like you, you just can't, you know, nasal breathe. Yep, totally, totally. And, and and if you can learn to breathe through your nose and then down into your belly, as opposed into your into your collarbones mm-hmm. or into your chest and more shallowly, that also really helps calm at least it calms me on long rides that that's what i you know i don't know if you can see this but i've got you know breathe tattooed on my arm wow you know, Love that. as, that's why it's just to practice breathing and calm myself down because otherwise you know you're you're breathing yeah. through your collarbones and it's you know you sound like a dog you know yeah trying yeah. to get your breath and if I can just shout out to a really fantastic book, uh, Breathe by James Nestor. Mm-hmm. It is just, uh, you know, it teaches sort of all of these things. It, it's really not even in the exercise context, but all of these <laughs> principles are still, um, you know, they still hold true. Uh, Alex Hutchinson as well. He was on the Training Science Podcast with me, and he, he also did a review of these sorts of techniques as well. Um, so yeah, they're they're really they're really great. Like like Mariana's kind of learned for keeping us in balance, in homeostasis, uh, parasympathetic, uh, high calm nervous system, which is what we want. That's really what we're trying to do in this with the whole training process, right? We're going away from that no pain no gain mentality, and we're we're, we're doing something that is more sustainable and healthy for us. We know healthy athletes are, you know, it's the more sustainable long term, um, you know, me- method that you, you know, anything else is just not sustainable. You'll you'll you're coming to us eventually. <laughs> And I think what, what's important for the nose breathing for the talk test is knowing when you are in that zone one and zone two, when you're below that first threshold, because there's so many things that, so many adaptations that happen in that first threshold that allow you to build a lot of volume and a lot of time in that zone without building all the fatigue that comes through the more intensity. But Mariana, you know, what in your eyes as a, as a coach and as an athlete, why do these thresholds matter? Why can't you or I or any other everyday athlete just go out and train and just go ride our bikes and go run and go swim? You know, why do we need to think about these thresholds? Oh, great question. Um, I think for me, typically, I don't worry too much about threshold two as a coach. (laughs) I am always talking about threshold one, just trying to get my, my athletes to stay when they are building their aerobic base to stay under zone two or zone two stay in zone two zone one and not go too much on the zone three um but we also need to remember to go hard sometimes for performance um so for my athletes threshold two we do the tests we set the uh, intensity zones I try to teach them how it feels using RPE um, and so that they learn their own bodies and how they can kind of calibrate 
um, any progress, you know, like, okay, so I'm running 530 and it feels RPE three, but a couple of, um, couple of months ago, maybe I, I was running six minute per K and it felt like RPE four. So they can tell that, okay, I'm clearly, you know, getting fitter. Um, but I don't really talk about, you know, lactate thresholds or FTP. I don't like try to boost their train training so that it boosts their FTP because I, I don't think that that's, um, you know, the most important thing, but you go yeah. more by, you're trying to train your athletes to go more by feel. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I don't train them like, I, you know, I, I don't see, I don't see the importance of trying to get a bigger number on FTP, for example. I'm just thinking one of the things we, re we haven't explained well to the listener, I don't think is around, you know, some mechanisms of, well, why, you know, why is, why does Mariana care so much about this first ventilatory threshold? And she cares about it because she knows that um, all the exercise that's done below that first ventilatory threshold is done by the burning of fat, right? We talked about when I was kind of going through the, the, the thresholds, I was talking about the burning of sugar versus the burning of fat a little bit. We burn sugar. That's when the lactate kind of, you know, spins out through the, the mechanism of, uh, you know, glycolysis, the metabolic mechanism of glycolysis to bring us energy by burning of sugar. Well, we want to do as much work as we can by the burning of fat because there's no byproduct. There's no lactate byproduct in that. There's only carbon dioxide and water, which your body has no problem dealing with, right? We'll just breathe out the carbon dioxide and we'll just hang on to the water. No problem. That's the whole efficient um, oxidation kind of process that occurs. So imagine if you had a system that was so built up on that, you know, efficient um, metabolic process. And you were just like, imagine if you could burn fat um, to the same level right now that, you know, that, that you might be doing your, your FTP at or whatever, right? Imagine that was just like all, all fat burning. Well, you know, People like, if you look to, you know, Ironman winning performances, they, you know, take your hero, whether it's Mark Allen, Dave Scott, uh, you know, Dan Plews, uh, Christian Blumenfeld, etc. These guys have these engines that can burn fat to super high, 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 high levels. That's what they've trained. So this is ultimately what you're doing. And we're all the same this way. And we all have our own individual levels that we're trying to kind of get to. But the higher you can build this, this up, um, the better you're going to be and the better you're going to perform, the better everyday feelings um, are going to be. And I know Mariana is going through a transition right now where she's, you know, she's kind of manipulated some things in her diet that are, that she's even noticing are contributing to this. And we can, we can leave that for another one, but really it's, it, it really is about the, the, the ability to, to burn fat and something called in, in physiology, something called your fat max and that's the maximum rate of fat oxidation that we'd measure on like one of those VO2 max carts. The higher we can get that, the, the better everything else is. 
it's the foundation, right? It's the yes. whole foundation yeah. that upon everything else that's, that's, that's built. So this is, and this, this relates to totally to the threshold thing that we're talking about, right? So we're, that's why we're trying to do the bulk of this work under our first ventilatory threshold, because we're trying to build that base, that build that foundation of aerobic fat metabolism, right? And we can, carbohydrate is a, is a short-term limited source. You only get so much, right? You only get about 2000 kilocalories stored on all of our bodies, everything else. That's why the, the big push to, to take in these big amounts is everything else has to be taken on board. So why wouldn't you totally enable everything on board to be oxidized? And that's the whole, that's the whole process of getting your, getting your training right, which we're talking about, but you know, generally polarized with lots of exercise intensity below the first ventilatory threshold. And then also adding to it as well with uh, with a really good nutrition program so we can we can save that for another day so so paul when i first started using athletica and when my athletes started using athletica we started with the test week which is not a lot of fun but it's you know it's it's, it's useful but why do we have to go through those tests i mean what how do those tests help athletica understand who we are as riders and runners and swimmers yeah, so the, the tests are the first point in determining the sustainable intensity. It determines, uh, you know, markers that are close to your second threshold that we, that we spoke about, which are, you know, close to your, the, you know, a lot of us have heard of FTP. It's really the, you know, we're, we're, we're getting markers of this. We've spoken in previous podcasts on our critical power or our critical velocity in running or, or critical swim speed. It's really getting the marker of that second threshold. And then we just take a, uh, an estimate from, from that second threshold into your, into your first threshold. They're, the two are very much related. It won't always be perfect, but that's the very first test. And then we can refine that a little bit with the other tests that, 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 that's there as well. And that's the math tests. These are, again, they're, they're not perfect they're, and, but they're giving us more in, in indications of where the first thresholds lie. And again, just a shout out to our coaches, our athletica coaches. This is really where the coaches can come in and, and help to, to refine that for, for the user. So we get a sense from those tests where the thresholds might be the first and second threshold so that Athletica can then adapt and get a better sense of where we should be trained doing our training. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So every you're, you're basically getting a calibration of who, where you are with all of these thresholds and all of your subsequent training sessions will be calibrated in accordance with your own fingerprint, right? From, from that threshold, right? So that's why the, that's why the testing is really important. We see some, we see some individuals coming to Athletica and they'll just skip the tests. Well, yeah, it's not always a great idea because you don't, we don't, it's you know, the old expression, garbage in, garbage out, uh, Gigo, we, we really don't, won't know much about you and you can't expect the tests or the, uh, the training sessions to be you know, that great because Athletica really knows very little about where those, those markers lie. So it won't really know what your zones are. So it's not a, not a super idea to not 
to miss those miss those out um unless the the context of that you are you know that that you look at the test itself and it just feels too hard well you know um and you're actually not ready for it that that, that can occur but generally speaking, if, if you're like the majority of Athletica users that come in and you're fairly experienced as an athlete, then it's, you should definitely try to do the test. I can see, I can see some, some people don't like testing because they just put so much value in them. And mm -hmm. it can be scary. It can be intimidating to do your test. Um, I think, though, personally, I love test weeks because it, it, it gives me oh, it gives me a, a benchmark where I'm at, at that moment. So say for example I'm new to Athletica and I ran 5k a couple of years ago. I'm using that time to you know estimate my thresholds and intensity zones and then Athletica uses that to calculate the load. Well, it's two years ago. I'm not going to be in the same fitness level than I was two years ago. Anything can have happened. And now you're getting that garbage out, right, in your training plan. So if you feel like test week is intimidating and you put value into the test result, Maybe just hook up with the friend and go for a little hard run. Just make it into a game. But just like remember that if you want to progress and if you want to see results, you need to put a pin to where you are today. And then you can come back, well, seven months later, okay, I started here and now I'm so much fitter and I can actually like quantify it, what my progress was. So make it into a game if, if you're a little bit intimidated by test week. You know, uh, Paul, that leads me to a question. You know, I started Athletica when I was <clears throat> just recovering from surgery. And so I get a lot of um, reminders, you know, do you want to you know, update your, your thresholds, um, your VT1, your VT2? Is that something we should be doing on, uh, on Athletica? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. If you get a, um, again, context is everything. Um, you know, you could be accidentally have your watch going in your car and all of a sudden you, you know, you've, you've got this higher threshold. That's why the warning's on there just in case this happens where you've got this, this false reading. But yeah, for sure. If you're coming back and, um, you know, Athletica is always monitoring you and if it notices that you've already all of a sudden got this, um, you know, whether it's in the run and you've got a 5k run time, that's all of a sudden above what your, what your thresholds are set at, or if you've got a, um, you know, a VT2, um, critical power FTP that's above what your settings are at, it's going to give you a, um, uh, a warning and, and, or sorry, not a warning, but an alert to say, we suggest that you increase your, your thresholds. And of course, everything will go up as well. All the zones will go up. And that's the same for heart rate as well. So you've always got the option, um, you know, have a, ideally have a look. Does it make sense? If you're not there yet in terms of understanding these sorts of things, again, great to have a coach that can, that can kind of keep uh, tabs on these things. And they're going to, the coach is going to know if these are, you know, a, um, uh, you know, if it makes sense to, to raise the threshold or not. Cycling specifically though, like I like to say that 
we often talk about absolute numbers like FTP. We hear Ironman athletes like, oh, I was pushing 350 watts. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't say anything to me. You know, like as a woman, 300 watts would be tons. Like that would be amazing. Like Daniela style. I don't even know if she goes over 300, but, uh, and youth athletes, like lighter athletes, like 320 watts is holding that for five hours is intimidating. So if you look at power to your weight, that's a, a little bit more better number to look at, but then you have to remember when you lose weight or gain weight, that that will change, like compared to your absolute numbers. Absolutely. Here are my takeaways from this conversation about thresholds. In episode 10, we talked about how to monitor our training. Thresholds are a great and very effective tool to help organize our training so that we're training in the right zones and our target zones. And therefore, we're training smarter and not harder. Number two, we need to understand our approximate first and second thresholds in order to train smarter within the correct zones. Particularly, learning your zone two helps you burn more fat and therefore build more volume. Um, the talk test works really well to help you understand your ventilatory threshold. And number three, Using a tool like uh, Athletica's Power Profile can help everyday athletes understand and do their workouts more efficiently with better pacing or better power. That is all for this week. Keep the questions coming. Thank you for listening and join us next week when we talk about the 80-20 guideline for organizing your training time, another controversial topic. For Mariana Rakai, Dr. Paul Larson, I am Paul Werlowski, and this has been the Athletes Compass Podcast. Thanks for watching. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Athletes Compass Podcast, your guiding light through the complex world of training for your endurance sport. For a deeper dive into the science, listen to our companion podcast, the Training Science Podcast, and check out the AI adaptive training platform, athletica.ai. Thanks.